Amen. Thank you, Mike and team and American Heritage Girls. Great to have you. I think last time it was in November. I was still in the Sermon on the Mount and we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of, we just go verse by verse. But last time it was on the objectification. And so today I'm excited that we are in our little mini series of kingdom prayer. And uh, I believe the Lord will uh, work in our midst here this morning as uh, we trust that the uh, Lord indeed will meet with us. Matthew chapter number six, Matthew six. And again, I'm thankful that you are, are here. Matthew six, most everything will be up on the screen if you want to uh, follow along that way. Matthew six, and we are in this little mini series within the Sermon on the Mount on the kingdom prayer, the Lord's prayer, how it is often uh, described. And this morning, we are going to uh, tackle the portion of forgiving our debts. So we're praying, God, would you, would you forgive us our debts? But let me read the entire prayer for you as our custom uh, through this series. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, no, excuse me, give us this our daily bread. That's what was last week. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we've, we've been uh, looking at that for, for many, many, many weeks now. But there's kind of a, there's kind of a footnote in the text that connects to verse number 12. And the footnote is beginning in verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so we're going to begin to flesh that out over these, uh, over these weeks. But Robert Lee Davis uh, in his book entitled, A Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World, he tells the story about a pastor in the Philippines. And he was a, he was a beloved pastor, and, but he was a man that carried this immense burden, this personal burden of a sin that he had committed, a grievous sin, while he was in college. And uh, this pastor goes on, uh, Ron tells the story in this book of how he, uh, he had repented, he had asked the Lord to forgive him, but there was always just kind of this, this weight that he personally um, kind of carried. And he had in his church a woman who deeply loved God and claimed to uh, have visions and to uh, speak to the Lord and the Lord uh, speak back. And uh, this pastor said that he was kind of skeptical about it. But then he told her, he said, okay, the next time you have one of these dreams, the next time you have this conversation with the Lord, I want you to ask him about a specific sin that I committed when I was in seminary. And the woman in the church said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So anxiously, a few days went by, and he comes, and he asks the woman, he says, did you indeed um, speak to the Lord? And she said, yes, I did. And did he speak back? And she said, yes, he did. And he said, what did he say? He said, I cannot remember. I cannot remember. And so when you think of whether the, whether the story is true or not, I, I, I don't know, right? You just, you can't, you can't necessarily speak into that, but I can't wait to show you from the word of God that 
believers, that is what Christ would say that he does not remember. John Stott in the contemporary Christian wrote this, not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, Marganita Lowski, one of our best known secular humanists and novelists said this, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. I'm immeasurably thankful that the creator of this world, that the God of the universe offers forgiveness to us. And so the focus and the concentration of verse 12 is the subject of sin and forgiveness. And this is a petition that every soul needs to face as part of their uh, prayer life. And so I'm going to give you this morning, kind of already see one up here, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you four principles really quick from kind of this concept of our debts being forgiven. And then we're going to pull out just a single word from them. And this, we're, going to, we're going to spend two weeks on this particular, particular section. So I'm going, to give you the, I'm going to give you the four principles, and then we're going to dive into two of them here this morning. And so the first one is that sin makes man guilty and brings judgment. I think that's a pretty... That's a pretty basic truth. I think if anyone's been a Christian for any length of time, or if maybe you're not a Christian, you've been uh, aware to some kind of Bible uh, teaching, and you're, it's kind of, in, in, if you've been in the Word at all, you would know that this is indeed true. This is the human dilemma. dilemma. Mankind are sinners, and this is our problem. Now, the Bible says that sin that it's lawlessness, that it is, it's breaking God's law, it's violating God's standard. John tells us in 1 John 3, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Paul wrote in Romans 3, now we know that whatever, he law, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So this sin is, is it's lawlessness and it's we're guilty before God and there is judgment to follow. Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin. This is the judgment. So because we have sinned, the wages of sin, it's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so all, all mankind across the face of the earth, they stand in judgment because or for their sin. Again, probably nothing new uh, to uh, those of us that are in this room. So that's kind of the, the, the first principle. The second one is, is that forgiveness is offered by God on the grounds of Christ's death. So God is this holy God. We just sang about it, and I, I love that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's so true. He's a holy God. He sees the sinfulness of men and women. He sees the sinfulness of our society, but God is also merciful, and he's loving, and he's forgiving. So forgiveness is offered to a sinful world. Though he is guilty, 
and stands in judgment. God is a forgiving God to this mankind. And so the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 8 that God remembers our sin no more. And in Micah 7, that he passes over our iniquities, that he literally buries them in the depths of the sea. And the psalmist said in Psalm 103 that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. All throughout the prophets, all throughout the New Testament, there is this um, unceasing promise that God is a God of forgiveness. He wants to forgive us of our sins. But God's not going to just necessarily do that. He's bound by his word. He's bound by his own own remedy for that sin. And so he has to take that penalty for the wages of sin is death, Romans 3, or uh, 6.23 says. So uh, he takes that penalty and he places it on the substitute, places it on Jesus Christ. So for him to forgive your sin and to forgive my sin, there had to be the scapegoat. There had to be the one that was going to pay the price. And Jesus Christ is the one. And so this forgiveness is offered because of Jesus Christ. But another principle we see is that confession of sin is necessary to receive that forgiveness from God. So forgiveness is available and the penalty for it has been paid, the covering has been made, the the biblical term for it is the word propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation. He met the demands of a holy and just God. He met the requirements for sin to be forgiven and for sanctification to be accomplished. But it's a matter of receiving the gift, and basic to that reception is a confession of sin. Paul puts it this way in Acts 20, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9, probably a familiar verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you come to God, you come to him as a sinner. One of the men in our church this week, we had an opportunity to, uh, to see a movie this week, and uh, it was the George Foreman movie. And, you know, if you like boxing and stuff, and he was a pastor, and it's really kind of a cool story. But we both were kind of commenting afterwards on how, now we really shouldn't expect Hollywood to, you know, be the one that's preaching the gospel for us. And, you know, it was put out by Sony, but it was just so, it was just so weak, right? There was no, there was no mention of sin or anything. By the way, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to mention sin today. But I'm also going to mention the forgiveness for that sin. But so you've kind of, so, so Christ is, or God is saying here, you, you've got to come to me on the grounds of that I am indeed a sinner. And no man ever is going to receive salvation who is not repentant, not willing to ask for forgiveness and turn from that sin. Remember the Beatitudes? Remember how we kind of started this Sermon on the Mount? How Jesus Christ says, hey, you've got to come to me as poor in spirit. You've got to come to me as bankrupt before the Lord. God, I, I've got nothing before you but my sin and my guilt. Would you take that away? I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after your righteousness. And we saw kind of how those, we viewed them as monkey rings, how they all kind of, they, they worked together. And you can't just start in the middle of them. You can't just start at the end of them. You can't just start in the forgiving. No, you've got to come all the way back to the beginning and be rescued in Christ and rescued in the gospel. Or the story of Luke 18, where we have the Pharisee and the, and the publican or the tax collector. Right in the Pharisee goes, 
stands before God and he says, I'm so thankful that I'm not like them. You know, those, those sinners. You know, I tithe of everything I have and just goes on and on and on. And then the text says, and then you have that tax collector, that, that sinner off in the distance can't even kind of look up. And he's just like, God, I am a sinner. Would you please forgive me? And what did Jesus said? Jesus said, the repentant one, the one that's acknowledging their sin, they went home justified. Not the one that doesn't see their sin. Not the one that stands before God and says, I'm good with you based on my merit. No, it's based on another merit. It's based on Christ's merit. And so to receive this available forgiveness requires the confession of sin. And God is eager and anxious to give you that forgiveness. But then the fourth principle would be forgiving one another as an essential part of receiving forgiveness for ourselves. Now, sometimes when people read verses 14 and 15, uh, we kind of get confused because it looks like forgiveness from God requires that we forgive somebody else. They assume that they have got to start by, I will forgive this way, and then God will forgive this way. Questions like, you mean I'm never going to have the forgiveness from God until I forgive somebody else, they ask? Or how can I forgive someone else if I'm not even a Christian? Or they maybe word it this way, how can I do a righteous act like forgiving when I am not righteous in myself? And obviously that righteousness comes from Christ. But you know, how can I do something that is so Christian-like without being a Christian? But that question presupposes the misunderstanding of the whole concept in verses 14 and 15. And if you'll stay with me this morning, we'll begin to answer those questions fully next week, but we will definitely come to a conclusion about those verses. And so, again, so over the next two weeks, we're going to pull out four words from those principles, and we're going to start with the first two here this morning. The first word is sin. Sin. Forgive us our debts the text says, right, in verse number 12. And then in verse number 15, it says trespasses. Now listen, both of those words are words that describe sin. Sin is the problem of every person. I want to show you something very basic, but then build on it here in a moment. We're just going to go through Romans chapter 3, because Romans 3 really kind of just builds on itself in this context. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. I like how he kind of, the Lord just put that no, not one at the end. Because there's always going to be that person to be like, well, yeah, well, except me. Yeah, there, <laughs> there, there, there's none righteous. Well, yeah, except Ryan. I mean, haven't you seen how I live my week? And so it's like, nah, even you, Ryan. No, not one. No, not one. There's none righteous. Not even one. And then verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. There's none. No, not one. They are all gone out of their way, which means they've all departed from the way of righteousness. They have all become unprofitable. If you want to know what that word unprofitable means in the Greek? Let me wow you. Let me give you a today's vernacular. Spoiled milk. 
How many of you like spoiled milk? Anybody? This stuff's nasty. How many of you, if that milk jug's been in the refrigerator for a while, before you drink it, what do you do? Now, here's the thing. I don't ever do it. I always make someone else smell. I'm like, because I have, it just doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't go well with me. So my son, he's so brave. He's 10. I love him, Blake. And I'm like, hey, here, you smell this. And he's so obedient, right? I'm such a horrible dad. I get it. And I loved one of the girls that said, you know what's so great about HG? There's no boys. I'm like, ah, okay. But that's literally, it means like it, it's sour. Unprofitable. Unprofitable. There's none that do with good. Keep going down through the text. We already read this, but let me show you something else. Verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, there's no defense. There's no, well, you know, I said that to my wife because you should have seen my day. Or, you know what, I decided that I was just going to get a little bit of road rage. Any road ragers in here? No, don't raise your hand to that one. Forgiveness is being extended to you in Christ. Amen? They, they did this. They did that. No, no, no. Every, every mouse is going to be stopped. There's going to be no, hey, you don't know how I was raised. Hey, if, if you knew my mom or if you knew my dad... If you knew what my if you knew what my situation was, if you knew that that I, I never knew my mom or dad, or someone else raised me, or I had to jump from home to home, I mean that's so many stories for so many different kids. We're not going to actually be able to say I am a sinner because I do this because of that. We have nothing to say that will justify ourselves. Man, let the weight in on this. Romans three is heavy. It's meant to be heavy. And then verse of course twenty three, maybe most familiar for all have sinned. And they come short of the glory of God. And then if you were to jump over to chapter 5, it says that in Adam all have sinned because sin is passed upon all. The point is this, that people everywhere are confirmed in sin. Everywhere. I don't, again, I don't think this is probably new for anyone in here. I think we all would admit that, yeah, we struggle with this. Sin disrupts every relationship. So let me just give you a cue kind of words in the New Testament for the word sin. The first word is the word that is referenced there in Romans 3.23, but it's the word hamartia. It literally means to miss the mark. It's an archer term. So you're, so you're trying to hit the mark. This would be like we're trying to do well we're trying not to sin. Maybe I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be whatever your dynamic is. I'm trying the best that I can, but we fall short of the glory of God. And so you shoot that arrow and you miss the target. And generally the idea is that you miss short. No matter how far you shoot, no matter how far you try, you still come up short. And so here's where I need some help from the ladies here. I talked to some of you. If you're willing to, I'd like for some of you to come stand on the very first step right here. If you're willing, come on up. You don't have to, but if you're willing to. Yep, the very first step in the face of the crowd here. The very first step. Give yourself, you know, like a few inches in between. Okay, a few inches in between. All right. Here's what we got. Hey, we're champion ladies today. Amen? I love it. 
Love the biblical identity of a woman. Praise God. Okay, that was my amen for myself here. So here's what I want you to do. Here's the goal. The goal here this morning is you need to, in one jump, get all the way to the front row there. All right? Okay, so that is, that's the mark. That's the, that's the standard. Now, I need you to be, and, I, and you girls are honest. One of the characteristics of HG is that you need to be honest. So you get one jump. You don't get two. You get one jump. And then once you land there, I want you to stay standing there. Are those, those instructions pretty clear? Okay, the goal is you need to get all the way there to Ashley right there uh, on the front row. All right? When I say go, when I say that again, then I want you to jump as far as you can. One, two, stop. Oh. Good listeners. One, two, three, go. Okay, stay. So if you know, like that, hey, that's pretty good. Give him a round of applause. No, stay. Give him a round of applause. That's pretty good. But what do you notice about all of them? <laughs> they all, they all fall short. They did a great job. And someone said, oh, I can beat that. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But it, it, it's, uh, thank you, ladies. You, you, you may be seated. So here's the first word that I want you to understand here with sin. There are differences on how well we approach the problem. But everybody falls short. And why do we fall short? Why do we, why do we miss the mark? Because, of course, I made that impossible for them. Oh, but you want to know what the Christian mark is? Let me show you to you in Matthew 5, verse 48. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the mark. That's the, that's the standard. So let me just say to you here this morning, welcome to the fellowship of those who missed the mark. That's all of us. If you were around me this week, you'd say, yeah, Ryan, you missed the mark. We missed the mark. We miss it. Well, the second word that you will find in your New Testament, and really it's all through uh, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the word iniquity. Iniquity. Have you ever, have you ever read that word, right, in Scripture? It's the word parabasis. It basically means to kind of just kind of Flirt with the line a little bit. You know, you've kind of, you've, you've, you've got a line there. How many of you have ever been like walking in the neighborhood and you see one of those signs, do not step on my grass or something like that? What do you want to do? <laughs> and then you see, okay, now there's cameras around here. Maybe that's not a good idea, right? But you just like, you just, you just get right there. Like, man, I really, I really want to step on that lawn right there. So that's kind of, that's the concept of iniquity. How many of you have ever read the word transgression? Transgression. That is a word that literally means you see the line, and you know what? I'm going to step over it anyways. It doesn't matter. I am the God of my life at that moment. doesn't mean that we relinquish God, but just in this moment, you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. I want to have that second burger. I'm just going to confess my own sin right there in front of you. You know, gluttony never gets talked about. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter. God says, no, 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 you're full. You don't need that. Our daily bread has been met. Remember, we looked at that last week, the beauty of it. And we're just, I'm just going to do it anyways. We're living in a society that is 
going against clear cut black and white rule and law of God about marriage between a man and a woman. We okay? All right? I defy you to bring it up to me. And I love all these, these girls in here right now with the identity and gender and all that transgressions to fully cross the line. We okay? We're doing all right? Good. All those that we're missing so many today, I'm going to be like, hey, I need you to listen to this message for next week because it's going gonna, it's gonna to really connect to next week too. But then there's a final word for sin. So you've kind of, you, you've got hamartia, that's just kind of missing the mark. That's us really trying. We're, we're doing, we're trying. Then the other one's like, hey, we're just kind of flirting with it a little bit. Mm, yeah, that'd be nice. And then there's just the full-on stepping over it. And then there's the word you read in our text. And it's the word debt. Debt. You read it in verse 12. It's the word hafaleum. Sin is a debt. A.W. Pink says this, follow this, as it is contrary to the holiness of God, sin is a defilement, a dishonor, and a reproach to us. As it is a violation of his law, it is a crime and is the guilt which we contact, contact, thereby it is a debt. As creatures, we owe a debt of obedience unto our maker and governor. And through failure to render the same as account on our rank disobedience, we have incurred a debt of punishment, and it is for this that we implore a divine pardon. So that's A.W. Pink and like, you know, big, big, big words. If I, can, if I can kind of bring it down to us, we owe such a massive debt to God that we will never be able to repay it. That's what A.W. Pink is saying there like the unfaithful servant who owed so much that he could never pay back in his whole lifetime. We owe a debt that is like that. Peter said, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Right, Paul said, of sinners I am chief. There's no one that's higher than me that is a sinner. Listen, Jesus taught all men everywhere to pray this prayer. All men everywhere to forgive us our debts. Listen, in so doing, he laid out the universality of the problem of sin for mankind. So if all men are to pray this, and all men then are to admit of their problem, and then that leads to the good news. Secondly, the word would be forgiveness. Forgiveness. If sin is the problem, then forgiveness is the provision and how many are you thankful for the provision? Praise God. Forgiveness is the provision. This is the part that we've been building up to. What is it for God? What does it mean for God to forgive you? you got to remember our second principle. Forgiveness is available on the grounds of what? Christ's death. Forgiveness is God passing by our sin. It is God wiping our sin off the record. It is God setting us free from the punishment and the guilt. Micah 7 verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. If you saw that, you might be connecting. Yeah, but that's the raiment or the, 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 the remnant. Yeah, that's God's people. You know what we get engrafted into in Christ? Into those promises right there. Your sin and my sin, literally, if we trust Christ, it literally gets separated from us, looked over, and buried into the depths of the sea. Let me sum it up this way. Forgiveness is taking away our sin, covering our sin, blotting out our sin, and forgiving us. And how is that possible? How could that be possible? Well, Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of Christ, the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all. He's covered our sins. Psalm 85, verse 2, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. God blotted out our sin. I, even I, in Isaiah 43, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And notice what it says, and I will remember your sins no more. He remembers no more. God literally eliminates our sin. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. My friends, If you ever get to a place where this type of forgiveness doesn't move you anymore, you're in a dry spot. And you need to ask the Lord to just stir you up. Because we are all radical sinners, but in Christ we're beautifully forgiven. Let it move you. Let it humble you. Let it bring about within you such gratitude for this amazing forgiveness because it is only possible, listen to me, because of Christ. God couldn't just pass by your sin unless he took your sin and placed it and punished it on someone else. And that someone else is exactly what Jesus Christ was. This is a judicial forgiveness. It views God as a judge. God looks down and he says, Ryan, Ryan, you are guilty. Ryan, you've broken my law. You're under judgment. You're under condemnation. There's going to be a punishment for your sins, but the same judge, the same judge says, but on the basis of Christ's death, on the basis of your faith and your trust in him, his finished work, him taking that iniquity, taking the shame, taking the reproach that Isaiah 53 talks about, I am going to forgive you. I am going to declare you forgiven. I'm going to declare you righteous. That is a judicial act. Hear me, all of your sins, your past, your present, your future, the the ones that have been committed, the ones that are being committed right now, and the ones that are going to be committed totally, completely, and forever forgiven. You are justified from all of the things that you've ever done, that you're currently doing, and you will do in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, wow, when does that happen? One time 
at the moment of salvation, at the moment when you acknowledge before God, I am bankrupt before you earlier in this, uh, be, the Beatitudes. I am poor in spirit. There's nothing that I can offer you, but God, you've rescued me in your son, Jesus Christ. At that moment, you are declared righteous. At that moment, you are justified. That's a big, big Bible word for, kind of let me say it this way, just as if I'd never sinned. Or you can flip it, just as if I'd always obeyed. So do you see how forgiving others does not play into your standing with God? It's all Jesus. So we're going to get to verses 13 and 14 next week, but you're standing this way with God judicially is completely and holy in Christ. Your forgiveness stands in him. Now, next week, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a teaser, is the kind of the, the parental kind of law kind of a thing. Like, my, my children literally stand in forgiveness with me. I love them so much. got my son here, and I got my daughter here. And then, like, no matter what they do, you're forgiven. I love you. But you want to know why it's good for them to come to me? And to ask for forgiveness and to, in a sense, like repent for what they've done and, and, and realize that they've done something wrong so they can be reminded of that forgiveness. They can be reminded of that unconditional love and acceptance that we have. But let me just give you a few more verses because I've got to. I'm just excited here. Matthew 26, verse number 28 says, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 2 says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Ephesians 4.32 says, Even as God the Christ's sake, excuse me, even for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Back when they used to be crucified, uh, when they were crucifying a criminal, they would, on top of his cross, they would put the list of the charges for that criminal and so just kind of to to record his crimes and so that everyone could see why this individual was being crucified the apostle paul is saying that when jesus christ when he died on the cross god pulled let me just say this god pulled all of the pages of your life all of the pages of my life, all of my evil deeds, all of my sins, everything that I've done, all of the, just the record that is racking up on, on Ryan Johnson's life, as well as yours, and it was placed on Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's placed on Christ. It gets blotted out. It gets taken away. It gets removed. That is judicial forgiveness. And I say, wow, this is some amazing news. The good news of the gospel is that this offer of forgiveness is available to all who would believe. No matter whether you are a sinful youth group kid 
that was me. Or whether you're a guy stocking shelves at a grocery store or you're a radical suicide bomber or you're a serial serial killer like, like David Berkowitz. Remember David Berkowitz? He's the famed son of man, son of Sam, excuse me. He's a serial killer that plagued New York City in the 1970s. Berkowitz had a hard life growing up. He was plagued with seizures, contemplated suicide while he was young and lost his mother at the age of 14. His already dark and lonely life got even worse when he began to get wrapped up in the occult. And he started, he started hearing voices. Started hearing demonic voices, and these demonic voices would say, Hey, I want you to go harm so and so. And he began to he began to listen to these voices. And he became a monster. Because we've got children here, I'll, I'll, I'll be careful with what I say. But basically, the summer of 1976 to 1977 were a brutal time there in New York. He tried to cover his tracks, escape the law for a while. But his sin finally caught up to him, and he faced 365 years in prison, literally a lifetime account for all of what he had done for each of them. He described this prison sentence by being virtually buried alive behind prison walls. While Berkowitz's station, situation seemed hopeless, he wasn't out of reach. Ten years into prison, his prison term, he had someone begin to share the gospel with him. And he didn't want to hear the gospel. He's like, no, I don't need that. But yet he was so lonely, he began to hear the gospel. And he literally began to get a glimpse of hope finally offered to him. This newfound friend gave him a Bible. It was a Gideon's Bible. And he says, I want you to start in Psalms. And here is Berkowitz's own words. Here's what he says. One night I was reading Psalm 34. I came upon the sixth verse, which says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. It was at that moment in 1987 that I began to pour out my heart to God. Everything seemed to hit me at once. The guilt from what I did, the did, the disgust from what I had become. Last, the night in my cold cell, I, came, I got down on my knees and I began to cry out to Jesus Christ. I told him that I was sick and I was tired of doing evil. I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins. I spent a good while on my knees praying to him. When I got up, it felt as if a very heavy but invisible chain had been around me for so many years was now broken. A peace flooded over me. I did not understand what was happening, but in my heart, I just knew that my life somehow was going to be different. Oh, and something has been very different in his life. He's going to die in prison He's for what he did. But now he's got a ministry. He's got a card ministry. He actually has a ministry online where, where, he, where he constantly preaches the gospel. He has a ministry that speaks into the uh, being careful of getting into the occult and what could happen with there. And he's being used of the Lord from behind bars in a maximum security prison in New York City all because he realized that he could be forgiven. And if he can, so can you. And if the forgiveness in Christ isn't what you have realized yet, I want to encourage you 
to take what you've heard today, the verses that you've heard today, and allow the radical grace that is found in the gospel and what Christ did for you, God the Father placing your sin on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be forgiven and accept that free gift. There's also in front of you, there's a card that says the good news, a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're still contemplating that, take that home with you. Read over that. But, but David Berkowitz's story proves that Jesus gives us freedom. And I would encourage you to experience the freedom that you find in Christ. Are we sinners? Yes, I think we proved that scripturally. But are we forgiven in Christ? Yes. What a prayer. What an, an amazing prayer of forgiveness. Every head bowed, every eye closed.